Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply moves, bad decisions, and crushing disappointment. But enough about my single life in my 20s. We're here to talk about FPL, which, funnily enough, yielded the same outcome for many a manager this week, unless they got pulled into um, making the Mares move, which obviously went very well for some people, and also managed to keep Luke Shaw on the pitch. Like, sadly, we did not. In a week pockmarked by refereeing clangers, we're back for yet another double game week midpoint pod to survey the damage and maybe take a detour into the world of hindsighting and regret. The kind of thing we saw many people indulge in in reaction to game week 23's outcomes thus far. Sadly, no Lucy this week. She's been red flagged due to food poisoning. She's all right resting up. Instead, I've got a lovely first sub off the bench in the same way I was hoping Luke Shaw would come on for Andrew Robertson tonight, but sadly Robertson is still playing, in the shape of friend of the pod, Sam, FPL Pricey, who was last seen on the pod on pod 18, I think it was, this season. Welcome back, Sam. Thanks so much for stepping in at short notice. Great to see you. Thank you very much for having me on. It's a, it's always a pleasure to be on the show and it feels like it's becoming a bit of a running joke. Whenever Lucy's sick, I'm the go-to Saint sub to come in uh, off the bench. So yeah, really looking forward to it and uh, thanks again for having me on. No worries. Hopefully between us, we can make half as much sense as Lucy does normally. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't have that much hope. Anyway, uh, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find me, Tom, on the main account at WGTA underscore FPL. You can find Lucy at Lucy Heinitz with two Ts. On the pod today, as I sort of referenced in the opener, I think we'll take a dip into the murky waters of recasting the past, covering how hindsight, regret, and that much parroted phrase outcome bias can impact managers both in the moment and also in decision making in FPL. And I think after that, Sam, it's just a bit of meandering around, really, you know, checking out a bit of future planning, maybe what's the crack with all these doubles coming up. And we're recording on the evening of the 13th of February. So happy Valentine's Day, everyone, whilst I'm listening to this. Um, and the Liverpool-Everton game is in the second half at the moment. And I'm fully expecting Robertson's clean sheet to go at any moment because he is still <laughs> playing now. Right, let's get into it then. It was obviously quite a tough week for a lot of people. Game week 23, 10 out of 11 fixtures down. How are we getting on? I mean, Sam, last time we checked in, you were pushing forward, weren't you? I think you were kind of uh, bobbing around 200k mark. How's it been since then? Good World Cup wild cards. So where do you stand now? I'm still bobbing. Um, so I'm still in and around between the 100 to 200k mark. Uh, last week, I TC'd Rashford, so I did jump up to about 125k. Sweet. Felt like I was on a, a good uh, forward step there, but it looks like all of that benefit might be washed away from this game week. Um, despite feeling pretty well set up for it, um, a lot of the players that I missed out on, i.e. Mares and benched Luke Shaw, 
both have done very well and I have missed them both. So mm. I'm on 38 points with five left to play. Uh, Harlan captain, so I don't think that really makes much difference either way. I'm just hoping that Saka can outscore the likes of Erdegaard and Martinelli in the second half of the game, uh, the game week for Arsenal and Man City. Okay, okay. Did you take a hit as well? No, no hits. I was very tempted, um, but I've just left it as is. I just did the straight Martinelli to Saka transfer, which seemed right. quite popular this week, mainly to try and set up in case I can't get to Salah in game week 25 to set up for that captaincy. Um, how about sure. you? I've done all right. I, I didn't take the hit, as I mentioned um, last week. I, I was kind of like really kind of agonizing over do I want a second Man City player in a second Man City mm. player no and I didn't do it um so I'm on 43 no hit which is kind of all right but really Sam what I'm doing at the moment is just kind of burning in a sense of injustice looking at the throwaway VAR this week it's very niche because it affects two players well I think maybe the Arsenal one isn't as niche but mm. I, I had a goal for Estupinian who's like two percent owned ruled out due to a like a, a wrong uh, offside line. Yeah. And, you know, at the time I was kind of like, oh, you know, that would have been great. But hey, you know, I'm going to get on with my day. Um, but subsequent revelations have made me so annoyed. I mean, obviously within the confines of fantasy football, like it's not ruined my life or anything. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, the way I look at it, I'm basically 10 points down with that goal being ruled out and the Ramsdale clean sheet uh, going too. Albeit Mbomo's goal should probably have stood, so probably the draw for us was the right result. But yeah, it's it's not been it's been really annoying. Um, I've got a hefty red this week as expected. I think I'm down from 16k to 25k, but I haven't. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Robertson now. I think that should repair some of the damage, but you know, mm. it's it's obviously one of those things because I stuck to the plan didn't buy an additional city player kept bruno it, it just didn't i didn't really have those sources of points and i, I really needed that estopinian goal but hey i've so many things have gone my way this season that it feels a bit sort of rich to be complaining too much and but little things in the week sam little things you know i kept bruno thinking oh you no know, he expressed such great underlying stats in the last game against leeds should do well here. What does he do? Miss a one-on-one. Yeah. A last minute um, assist for Rashford, but just offside. Uh, th- that's kind of how it, w- how it was going to be, really. Um, the saving grace, really, was that I didn't take a hit. Um, and the hits that I were that I was most considering were um, Akanji or Lewis in for Patterson. So that would be you know, a, a net minus three or a minus four with Patterson. With Lewis, I'm, I'd be sat there thinking, oh, maybe Shaw might come on but very, very unlikely. And uh, KDB to Bruno, as I said last week, I just wasn't really considering it. And I will talk about Mares later, but that was just that was just not anywhere near what I was thinking of doing. But yeah, if I did get those points from Ramsdale and Nesta Pinion, I'd be laughing. And Dermot Gallagher is saying, it's a human error and you can only apologise, yuck. And then, yeah, doesn't repair IFPL teams, unfortunately. And <laughs> no. yeah, I think you've got every right to feel quite annoyed and aggrieved by not only that decision, but also as an Arsenal fan, what went on in the the Arsenal-Brentford game as well. It was a bad week for VAR. And I think hopefully it can only get better from here. I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not a VAR hater at all, um, but I, I, you know, something like that is quite an egregious error. Mm. Um, and for it to happen in quite a few instances this week, and I think in, in Lamina being sent off was another dodgy one. So, yeah. I, I, you know, it was one of those weeks where I think uh, it was a bad week for the officials. Uh, mm. And f- finally, we should just mention Lucy got 41 minus four this week. She's ruining taking the hit. So she did Sacco for Bruno, Odegaard in for Martinelli. 
match. You already had the free city in situ, Ake, Kevin De Bruyne and Haaland, uh, similar to our Spence Shaw and just had precious little everywhere else, basically. That Ake sub on um, was obviously, she was a bit annoyed about that when that happened. Mm. This was the 85th minute or something like that. But she did say afterwards, you know what, it's probably better that that's happened now rather than me kind of sat staring at it for a few days hoping he doesn't show up. Yeah, you don't want that false hope because he is going to play one at some point in the double game week. So it it seemed better to get an extra point out of it at least. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, she's back out of the top 100k after getting into it last week. I mean, she got she got 115 last week because she got Rashford triple captain like you, and she mm. she had Nonto for an 11 pointer. So yeah, wow, un- undone mm. the progress that she made basically. So she, I think maybe that's why she skipped the pod because she wasn't too happy about it. Right? <laughs> no, no such thing as the do- dodgy curry then. <laughs> Who knows? There's definitely suspicions about that uh, in, in, in the in the green room. Right. Okay. Elsewhere. The Min League still in flux. I think I'm going to leave that until next week. Uh, market forces are dominated by who did a goal this week very quickly. Uh, Jao Felix, Ivan Tony, and Riyad Mahrez are on top. Likes of Martinelli, Cancelo, Almiron, usual suspects being sold, despite Almiron actually scoring because people mm. prepping for uh, the blank to come. But nothing to write home about as everyone is seemingly rolling the thing anyway this week. So... As I said, with everyone probably rolling it this week, barring a game-changing impact on Wednesday, like an injury or something, that'll probably date the pod again. Uh, I think we can probably depart from the recent tactical focus. And I think this week, head off into my favoured WGCA-style white space of holistic thinking. I suppose there's also quite a few who might want to have their minds taken off the football. (laughs) So we can help with that too. And I I guess with this pod, we're going to meditate a bit on the psychology and impacts it and a game we can have on us managers following a week where it's clear most people aren't happy with what happened. So the main topic this week is kind of hindsight in FPL or how we manage regret in FPL, something something like that. Just to start off, Sam, how would you experience this normally as an FPL manager? Hindsight, regret, the sort of thread of things that I guess we cast a negative light, wouldn't we? Yeah, so I think it's transformed for me over several seasons. Obviously, we've all been playing FPL quite a while now, but when I first started playing it, I'd get quite torn up by anything that went against me in the game. And I'd get I'd get legitimately quite um, annoyed at myself for getting a decision wrong or being on the wrong end of a decision. I think over time because we've been playing it for a lot longer, I'm able to keep my emotions in check slightly now, but the regret still seeps in. We all plan so heavily for any given game week as engaged managers. There are so many different options we could have gone with that it's hard not to look back at those options if one of them has performed slightly better than the one you ended up with and not look back and say, boy, I wish I did that instead. How much better would life be if I went that way, i.e. Mares over KDB this week, for instance? So, yeah, it does still affect me. But I think because we've been playing it for quite a while now, it's starting to affect me less and less. And I'm able to take a step back where where possible. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll probably come on to that in a bit more detail in a minute, but it's the, mm. really the same for me. I mean, in the moment, I definitely feel it. And I think because I subsequently learned about the VAR because it was the 3pm game, so yeah, I learned that afterwards, so it's annoyed me a little bit, but it's normally very in the moment for me. And over time, I've learned to recognise it's mostly something to ignore, but it's definitely a definitely really interesting sort of impacts that I had on humans. If you listen to the psych pod, 
over the summer. A lot of this will be familiar territory, so I'm not going to tread over it too much. Uh, but hindsight, hindsight bias, the I knew it all along effect <laughs> kicks in when less predictable events happen and humans believe it was actually easily predictable. Very strange. I'm not going to delve too deeply into it. I know it's not everyone's bag, but the impacts on the human brain, especially, is something called memory distortion. It's fascinating to think about. So if you're indulging in hindsight bias, saying something like, oh, we should have done X, you're basically misremembering a past which didn't exist, a past judgment or a past opinion. And that's like something was inevitable and you knew about it when you didn't. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's just such an amazing way the human brain is myopic and just completely warps what you know and what you felt. We see this all the time on FPL Twitter, this and its close cousin outcome bias. We'll speak about that in a bit. And it's the scourge, I think, of post-game reactions and guys' decision-making. In a lot of cases, people often launch into the next move based on hindsight rather than foresight, which can be you know, really problematic, as we always see. And just a quick one on regret as well. I mean, if you listen to the psychology pod in the summer, you'll remember this. But there's a man in the Netherlands at the University of Tilburg, basically, called Marcel Zielenberg, who's a world expert on regret. And I've read a few of his papers in a professional capacity in the past. One thing to really remark on is, for our purposes anyway, is how it's a really uniquely human emotion. You're basically reacting to an imagined future, a beautiful mm. realm where you did what you perceived the ideal outcome was rather than what it is. And that meshing with hindsight bias creates quite a toxic mental cocktail if things don't go your way. And we saw it this week, didn't we, with likes of Shaw and Mara's, which you touched upon earlier on. I mean, it was definitely something that you felt during the course of this game week. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that in double game week season, you feel it more sharply than ever as well, because the decision making and the variance behind that decision making is amplified to, well, double in most incidents. So I think at a time like this, it's a great time to talk about this this subject. And it's something we all certainly feel week to week and it's important to try and keep those emotions in check where possible to try and just make logical decisions moving forward based on the information we now have rather than looking back and thinking oh I should have gone down this path maybe I had information that I wasn't using in the correct way. Mm, oh definitely I mean, this week I think there, there were two as, I, as we, we both sort of said like the shore benching obviously very annoying but I, I can't as we'll talk about in a bit I can't be too annoyed about that because I was pretty set on doing it. And I had the feeling that Leeds would score against United based on the first game. And I mean, mm. even Fabio Borges bench sure this week, which tells you what we need to know, really. But the, yeah. big one, the big one for me was that City game. A big, a big one in terms of observing these effects on myself. I thought it was just worth kind of watching the City game just because obviously I, I enjoy watching football. But that was only what I can describe as a masochistic exercise because I only I only owned Holland who had like a two percent EO or something like that for me. And when Mara's got the assist for Rodri and scored the pen, I couldn't help but flinch. And I had that initial sort of gut instinct, you know, oh I, I could have done Mara's, you know, I, I'm sure I considered it. And um yeah, I was also surprised to find it. Remember Mara's skied it. I was actually really happy yeah. that he missed it. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, there was that sort of unbridled reaction to missing out on a haul. And, and that was really kind of something that I noticed that kind of just kicked in despite kind of my rational brain being there, especially with, with Bruno kind of missing that one-on-one -on -one and blanking being really fresh in my memory. But I guess after time though, Sam, my rational thought process started to kick in. And I thought about, you know, what I said on the pod last week. I spoke to Lucy about it. Uh, Mara's 58-minute sub last week in European competitions made me think, oh, it's not going to be worth doing. And 
simple fact is at no time did Mares coming in grace my agenda. I was never sat there with him coming in for Bruno on a confirmed screen, for example. So it was effectively like nonsensical that I was ruining a decision that I would never would have made anyway. I know it's a cliche now, but it's something you put down to bad luck, isn't it? I mean, obviously the, the assist is the assist, but Mares scored a penalty with Holland happening to be injured, so he didn't want to take or potentially having an injury. But yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting how it kind of hit me. And then kind of later on, kind of as rational side of my brain took over and I was able to kind of see what I was thinking and begin to kind of poke away at those feelings. I'm aware that makes me sound like a data style Android and how I've broken that down. But I think you've mentioned this before. It's a product of kind of one thinking I, I was going to talk about the process this week, but also years of my brain being trained by playing FPL and having loads of setbacks to help me sort of react to it. I suppose. Mm. And I think that that's really interesting, especially when you look at the contrast between people who are a little bit newer, who, as you say, do get kind of all caught up in it and start thinking, oh, you know, that's terrible. I made an awful decision. Whereas if you've been playing for a while, you kind of think these things happen. Yeah. And you have more confidence in your decision making after a few years. Like you, you back the fact that over time you make more correct calls than wrong. And I think with Mares as an example this week, in any given game week, any player, especially as explosive as Mares, can go off and can hit a big haul. But as experienced FPL players, as I'm sure most people listening to this pod are, they know that that's a possibility and they knew that before the game week started and still, based on the information available, thought it was a better idea not to go with him based on the risks that were attached to that player as well as the po- the possible benefits. So I think the decision-making mm. was sound. And I think it says a lot that it, did, it didn't enter my mind. It didn't enter your mind. Obviously, there are a lot of managers out there that did think of doing it and went with him and have gotten the haul from him. But I can see arguments either way. I don't think it was necessarily a bad decision to not go for him, nor was it a bad decision to go for him if the opportunity presented itself to someone else. Definitely. I think as well, you kind of touched on it there a little bit, is that this sort of thing floods FPL Twitter all the time, or FPL social media, if you're talking to your friends, you're in a group chat, you're on the Slack, you're on Discord. It just makes these things creep up on you a bit more and has a certain impact on you. You feel jealous of people who have done well if you've not done very well. You naturally look for others in the same boat so you can commiserate with each other. And uh, I guess you have that kind of sense of schadenfreude for people who have done worse than you. Like sometimes you, even if you're doing badly, you want to think, oh, well, they're doing worse than me. So it's not as bad as it could be. And also on the flip side, if you've done well, some weeks you look for people who haven't done well just so you can feel good about yourself. Uh, that sounds like <laughs> a terrible thing to say, but we all do it. I'm 100% sure we do. But I think kind of social media in general, as you inferred by the fact that some people did go for Mares and obviously are living at large, I think social media can open you up to what I'd call an impossible competition. Like it's really bloody difficult, isn't it? To take in what everyone else is doing and what they're thinking and still be able to have what could be termed like your own purity of thought unsullied by reading everyone else's ideas about what's happened, their experience, what's to do next. So yeah, I've, I've spoken about, you know, I stepped back from Twitter a lot this year, which has been quite mm. useful uh, for keeping my own sort of thoughts. And, you know, I obviously didn't look at Twitter during the City game. But yeah, I think, I think that's fascinating, just how much kind of Twitter perpetuates these sort of impacts on people. But as you say, over time, you become so aware of these things and you're able to recognise, I guess, when you're falling into the crop clutches of hindsight and regret, because you're able to say, oh, this happened before. And you react really early as well, don't you? Like to 
not react to things in the heat of the moment. Mm. I can't remember the last time I made a transfer within a game week, not on, on Saturday or Sunday. I can't, I can't remember. Like we, we, the, the Austin rule was something we started out the pod with, which was like, you know, I think the year before me and Nick started this, so 2016, 17, I think we both bought in Charlie Austin when he was at Southampton. When you were in oh, Europe, no. he, got, he, got, he got himself in. So we, bought, we got, bought him on the Wednesday because he was rising. He got injured in Europe on the Thursday. You know, and suddenly we had to both take a hit to get rid of him. So like, we, we know that, you know, these things happen. And over time, I guess your experience you know, tells you to just roll with it, but doesn't it? Like, you know, mm. obviously I, uh, I I still have an emotional reaction to it as of evidence through me talking through how this week affected me. But I think, as you said earlier on, it's much less strong, isn't it? You're much more able to put things to one side, minimize it and enjoy your weekends. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's okay to have an emotional uh, emotional reaction to it because we love this game. We're passionate about football. So it makes sense that we would have an emotional attachment to a player not doing well. But I think the difference is not actually acting on those urges and on those emotions immediately and giving yourself that minute to think through the the process that you would normally go through over several seasons worth of experience playing the game and as you say if you were bitten before by making an early transfer out of rage you'll know maybe after two or three times being hurt by doing that you'll know maybe the the third or fourth time you might want to just avoid doing it for a little bit wait for the player to play in midweek take the 0.1 price drop if you can Obviously, if you're 0.0 in the bank, you need to make a move right there and then fair enough. But if you can afford to take the 0.1 as a drop and make the move on a Friday evening or a Saturday morning when you've got all of the information available, then I think that always tends to be the better play. But that only comes through lessons learned and through experience of playing the game over several years. Yeah. Yeah, boring but true, sadly. I, I know I knew I had a good good replacement for Lucy. That's exactly what she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, Something I, about a Southampton fan, which is very realistic at the in in these uh in these situations. You've got your feet on the ground and able to just sum it up, say it how you see it. Excellent. And <laughs> um, so I, I think what's interesting there though is this idea of you know, sometimes it's about movement generating regret and hindsight. You know, I oh, I, I shouldn't have done this move, I should have waited. But there's the other side of it as well. So Nick Maynard said that you know he was cursing himself this week for going Kevin De Bruyne over Maris, for example. He said that he was being too conservative by going there. Does that ever affect you as well? That you feel like, oh, I've uh, not taken the risk. Which one, I guess, generates the most regret or hindsight? Conservatism or being risky, in your opinion? Mm. Well, I, I don't know if I'll be the same as you here. I'm, it might be a bit of a weird take, but I always find that the decisions I make based out of fear are the ones I end up regretting the most. So I think with the World Cup wildcard in mind, I kind of was a bit fearful of what KDB, what Almiron, what Martinelli might do to me if I went against them. And I do now regret making those decisions and I feel like I did it based out of fear rather than just yeah. genuinely wanting those players. Um, and I, I I get what Nick's saying here completely because Mares is an exciting option and KDB felt more of a safety net, more of a warm blanket wrapped around you, knowing that he's got history and he usually starts every single week. But Mares is the exciting pick. And if you've got that 
that primal urge to go for someone like a Mares because you just think it's exciting, then at the end of the day, FPL is a game and you should play it the way that you'll enjoy it most. If you're going to enjoy an explosive haul from Mares more than KDB ticking along week in, week out, then I can understand why he he regrets that more than playing it the other way and being risky but that not coming off um so yeah i think nick if you're listening i'm probably in the same boat as you at the moment i'm kicking myself a little bit for not being a bit more cavalier but i suppose if you look at it in the opposite in the opposite way as well you don't you don't want to say that and then go too cavalier in the future and then cut your nose off to spite your face so there is a give and take yeah i i think the hitting on the head really it's fear um, and th- those are the things that kind of stay with me. It's not mm. so much whether I've taken the risk or not taken the risk. It- it's more about the fact that I've let external influences impact what I do, whether subconsciously or consciously. Um, yeah. stuff, stuff like, you know, not leaving player X and removing them and they banged or captioning herd pick player X over player Y, as, as I said a couple of weeks ago, when I thought everything went with the second player and I've kind of ruined all those gains I could have made. And yeah. I think, you know, it comes down to that kind of anatomy of regret, doesn't it? Rejecting all of those positive outcomes I could have had and feeling bad I didn't realize them. It's, mm. it's, it's just amazing how the negative sticks with you. Like, I've had a good season um, and all I can really bring to mind when I think of the season are the negative events. Mm. Stuff like yeah. buying Trossard. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That was the first one that came to my mind as well. Yeah. I made the same error as you there. Um, yeah, it's really weird how the human mind works in that way. You never really think about the good times. Um, the same way that when you watch the news, it's always the negative events you um you listen to and you hear because your your mind is primed to sense the danger and sense the negative the negative stuff because you might need to react to it. So yeah, it's a very interesting complex that we humans have to deal with. Yeah, exactly. You can reel that off, reel off, you know, benching Ramsdale for his 11 points. Uh, all these sorts of things come to mind. And sure, it's going to be mm. something that I, will stick in my mind now for the rest of the season. Absolutely. 100%. Crazy, isn't it? But I, I guess <laughs> that this all kind of leads us into outcome bias as well, which is kind of, I guess the sibling, I don't think it's quite a cousin. I think it's actually a sibling of the other two. Uh, outcome bias is the idea of judging your decisions based on its eventual outcome rather than the quality of the decisions made. A good example of this would be if someone sold, let's say, Haaland for a hit this week and bought in Tony and captained him. Mm. So that that would have won out due to points, right? And they'd be kind of acting like they should be carried through the streets of Twitter by kind of by kind of saying, look at me, aren't, aren't I such a debonair, daring individual? And so, you know, they might think the outcome legitimated the decision, but we might actually think, hang on a minute, you've lost value here. You've taken a hit maybe and you'll probably definitely want Haaland back so you've spent a transfer on it at the very least which means the decision wasn't integrally a good one but the outcome favored you and yeah I've used this refrain on the pods but I use it again in FPL this whole idea simply boils down to not asking was it the right decision which is something that I think you kind of asked at kind of the entry level but rather am I happy with the decision I made or am I happy with the decision process I went through to get to this decision and reframing it like that helps as it removes the emphasis from the outcome the quality of decision making becomes more important it's easy to indulge in isn't it Sam 
especially in the cold light of day, FPL points are FPL points. It's very hard to not look at kind of things like Shaw on the bench this week and think, oh, I've made a bad decision there. Like, how do you overcome it? Or at least how do you feel, sort of engage with it when that sort of thing happens? Yeah, it's very hard, especially when you plan as much as I'm sure everyone listening to this pod does for any given game week. It's a, a series of different um, templates that you write down, you make draft transfers on FPL.team, you play around with your team constantly for a week, and you've probably got like five or six different avenues that your team might have gone down by the time you get to a deadline, meaning that when you look back at your outcome from the week, you're comparing the decision you actually made with probably at least three or four other potential avenues that you could have legitimately gone down, meaning you're pretty unlikely to have picked the most fruitful outcome in any given game week just because you've made so many different variations. What I personally do to get around this because obviously I make a load of different avenues before I lock in my team I try to write myself down um, when I lock in the logic behind the decision I'm making so I've got a, I've got this really nerdy excel doc every week I go in and I write down what I put in and if I don't have any time <laughs> if I'm out and about I'll, I'll I'll record myself a voice note just saying right oh this my. is your girlfriend must be just thinking, who the hell am I with? What I know. She, she's very, very lucky, I assure you. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll listen to myself back, make sure that the decision making was sound rather than the outcome itself. And I found that has le- led me to a much more pleasant game week itself, even if things are going against me. I know that at least... The logic I used at the time I made the decision was probably okay, even if the result wasn't. And I think over time that it's more for my own mental health benefit than anything else. It just relaxes me a little bit by the end of the week, knowing that there was logic there. I wasn't just randomly clicking buttons and hoping it would pay off. And that's the way I probably deal with it at the moment. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And to be honest, after a while, after playing this for a long time, I know some of you listening may be kind of fairly new uh, to mm. FPL, but I mean, after a while, if you take advice like what Sam said about how you could approach things, I used to uh, write down at the end of the get at the end of a game week. I used to write down my first thoughts and you know, my instincts, do all my research and listen to pods, read articles or whatever. And at the end of the game week, when I was, or the end, at the start of a new game week, when I was making my decision on transfers or moves or whatever, I'd always refer back to what I did last, what I thought I'd do, and kind of see how things have changed and kind of just sense check myself to make sure that I've done that right. But yes, what you said is good. And just making sure you're on kind of a good mental plane uh, with your transfers. So you're able, or, or the caption decisions or whatever. So you're able to at least kind of have peace of mind about it. It's really important. And just, just a good fact for you here, Sam, we both, bench sure this week but man united conceded an xg of 1.99 in the leeds game so yeah it was, it was on paper the right decision to bench sure it would have been probably the wrong one to play him based on that alone but football isn't played on spreadsheets unfortunately um and if you actively did play him like well done and you were rewarded with 12 points but it maybe was one of those decisions you kind of say hey actually we who didn't play him We've got some basis for underlining why we did that. But I guess FPL decision-making in general, we've both kind of begun to touch on that quite a bit. Is it difficult to avoid being on tilt 
you know, when you're, you're angry or you've had a, a bad game week or so on and so forth, how does regret, hindsight, outcome bias, how does it used to or how does it now affect your decision making? I'd assume that you've managed to be able to dampen it from what you said thus far. Mm. Yeah, I think in the past it affected me much worse and I would try to double down quite a lot, especially during this period of the season where double game weeks seem to be flying all over the place and blank game weeks are interspersed as well. It feels like every decision you make is almost like a like at a high roller table at a casino. It feels like everything gets either rewarded highly or punished heavily. So it's very easy to go on tilt if something goes against you in any given game week because you've got double the distance to catch up because of the variance. I think because, like you say, we've been playing it for a little while, it, it, I'm definitely not immune to it. I still go on tilt sometimes, and I probably will at some point this season go on tilt without even noticing it. Mm. But I think I'm getting better at just having a look at the way the land lies, making sure that I'm not just staring at a load of um, different team templates on Twitter before the deadline where everyone's made seemingly the same move to triple Liverpool in game week 25, for instance, which will be coming up very soon. And I assume we're going to see a lot of templates out there with three Liverpool players in it. But I can assure you that won't be the average effective ownership team template out there in the world. So it's trying to dampen down what you see on social media and try to remember that everyone is in basically the same situation as you. If Even if you see some perfect teams out there that you want to get to quickly, it doesn't mean that everyone's got that perfect team and you're chasing everyone. You're just chasing maybe that top one or 2% of people that happen to have a great team on paper that week. But actually, if you've got triple Liverpool in game week 25, you're probably not looking too great for game week 26 when they've got Man United at home. So there's a balancing act there and you just want to take a step back and have a bit more of a, a wider perspective on the lay of the land over several game weeks rather than just one at a time when considering going on tilt definitely a good friend of mine and friend of the pod fpl general has remarked several times that fpl can be like a battle with yourself Mm. i I, I think that's entirely true especially when you bear in mind like the wider ephemera when it comes to fpl in terms of you know social media effective ownership the transfer market all this sort of thing that the content churn and I know you're kind of, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted and, I'm, and you are too, um, Sam, to some extent, but it's, it's always a good idea to take that breath and let things dissipate before you act. Um, mm. but, you know, I mean, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, sometimes, especially if you had a few bad weeks, so after the World Cup, World Cup, I had three bad weeks and we got to that point where people were like saying, hold, hold, hold. And in that case, I kind of saw an opportunity to get the Batoma um, against the kind of quite docile herd, uh, as I'd label it, because they were all keep everyone else keeping out on and rolling. So yeah, that was kind of sometimes you can take these opportunities, but it's always best to make sure that those are also reasons as well as being kind of something that you're doing to try to address the slide. And it's always a case by case basis, which I guess is no good to anyone. But luckily, mm. we're trying to teach managers to fish here rather than give them a fish outright. <laughs> The only other thing yeah. to kind of consider here, Sam, is that you know, these these impulses exist for a reason. Um, and you know, there's, there's another side of it, which is the fact that they could actually be good things. So I framed all these things, or we framed all these things in negative ways so far, you know, things to be treated suspiciously, things to be overcome. But there's another side of it too, you know, the evolutionary reason why they're there. 
I'm not going to go into loads of detail, but regret, hindsight, outcome, the base emotion behind all of that is a reaction to something not turning out like you wanted. And I guess that's intended to be a bit of a lesson to you in the evolutionary terms. You know, this felt bad, so I'll try to avoid it in future. I mean, you've said already, Sam, that over time you've mastered the emotions, but are there any points where you know, you've been feeling that or you, you've kind of seen something and you kind of thought, oh, actually, I should have made that decision. And you know, perhaps it is good that I'm regressing this because it's kind of prompting me to think again about, I don't know, keeping this player for too long or removing this player for too long. Sometimes to muddy the water a bit, it can actually be quite good to kind of realize that, oh, I'm actually feeling this for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in FPL, as with anything in life, really, it's good to have humility. So to look back and not just assume you made the correct decision. So as I mentioned, my voice notes and my Excel sheet, there is quite often times where I'll look back and think, actually, that wasn't just a bad variance. That was bad decision making at the time based on the information I had available. And I think that's what you're hinting at there is yes, you've been taught some sort of lesson, you've been punished by potentially bad variants, but equally, it could be because you've made a poor decision. And it's important to sit down and assess those decisions that you made prior to the deadline based on the information that you would have had available, not just on hindsight bias or out, sorry, on outcome bias itself, but also to look at the decision-making process that you made at the time. And you're right, it's it's there for a reason. It, we've got that instinct for a reason. And if you're not constantly trying to learn about yourself and about the decisions you make and improve that decision-making process, you're not really going to go anywhere. So it is important from an evolutionary standpoint, and I think it can help us in FPL to have that bit of humility, look back and assess whether or not it was just bad luck and you mm. had a bad hand or whether there was something flawed in the decision-making process at the time. Definitely. I guess, I guess really what this comes down to is the fact that you, over time, as you experience things or as you kind of hear managers who have been playing for a long time with varying degrees of success in my case, and um, from listening to uh, content creators across the spectrum, it is about learning from these emotions a bit. And I've acted in the past in ways which have caused these emotions uh, aided and abetted uh, by social media um, to, to my detriment. And it's it's kind of about recognizing them, how you're feeling, what worked and what didn't work in the past, and finding a way to, I guess, brave it through them and ensure the next decision you make is one you can be happy with. Experience, I guess, tells over time, if not in outcomes and in peace of mind, as we've discussed with decision making. And really, that's what we could ever ask for, given the small role FPL should play in our lives. That's for sure. <laughs> right, let's take a break there. That was a good discussion, Sam. And we'll come on to any other business, really, a meandering sort of chat just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Right, we're back. And Robertson looks to have just kept a clean sheet, but he's decided to get a yellow card in the process, Sam. So I'm looking forward to the last-minute concede, which I'm sure is about to happen on the counter for Everton. But hey, there we go. Let's move on to any other business. And um, I think the first thing to ask, because I think it's something that's come up a few times, uh, is how are you feeling about double game weeks with yet another set to come? Like, you know, last week was Lucy's first experience of the pod being instantly dated. Because they did the pod on the Monday, you know, thought, oh, you know, we shook each other's hand virtually. Always kept a clean sheet. Brilliant. 
Hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, shook each other's hands virtually and said, oh, that was a good pod, yeah, good pod. And then, you know, fun next day, dated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, how are you feeling about double game weeks now after there being so many few to come? Obviously, you can't really change the fact the Queen died. But hey, you know, what are they like for you now? How do you regard them? Yeah, well, at the risk of I myself also saying stuff that instantly becomes dated any day now um, with so many announcements just flying everywhere um, without any warning. I think I'm pretty safe. I don't think there's going to be any double game weeks announced um, other than what will come in game week 29, which we won't know about for probably a couple couple more game weeks yet. I think the upcoming doubles, especially with 27 um, in mind, especially with Brentford and Brighton being the two teams that you probably want to be targeting for that game week, it makes planning really interesting for the next few weeks. I don't think anyone's going to be jumping on either Brighton or Brentford assets right now because they both blank in game week 25. But then you've also only got two free transfers to get you from presumably one or two at most Brentford or Brighton players to as many as you can possibly get to in game week 27 because they both have very good double game weeks. Then if you take a slightly longer view, they blank in game week 28, almost certainly. Um, I think they're both at over 80, 70% um, chance of a blank. Um, and then in game week 29, they're both very, very high chance of uh, having a double again. So those two teams seem to be almost the key to unlocking the route ahead in our strategies, which I would not have expected at the start of the season. And I think with all of that in mind, it makes game week 25 quite problematic because you don't really want to go too co- over committed on Liverpool players, for instance, because... If you are, then you're leaving yourself quite exposed and you're probably getting rid of players for the future game weeks as well. Makes me look like a genius having two Bryson and Robertson in situ, right? Yeah. (laughs) You Uh, obviously knew what was coming. (laughs) Absolutely. A happy accident. I'm sure there was something about, you know, Bryson having a double early, which only put Esther Pinion in, but, you know, happy with where it is. And Mm. as you said, game at 25, I suspect I'm going to have 10, but I mean, that's fine. I'm I'm not going to be really losing any sleep over that. I think the double game weeks in general, I said last week, the the sheen has definitely worn off them a bit, hasn't it? I mean, it's a case of, uh, again, yeah, <laughs> it's too much of a good thing, you know. I love stout, but do I have more than one a night? Absolutely not, because I'm not going to appreciate the second one not having the first one, you know. Mm. And I, I feel like double game weeks have passed beyond what it used to be, you know, a special event that we're all really happy about. Something quite, you know, commonplace, uh, the, the small ones at least. So used to be kind of like, oh, you know, this is a lesser scene, mean double game week. Oh, this is exciting. And now mm. it's kind of like, oh, you know, it's another one I've got to plan for, another one I've got to look at. And then we spoke about this last couple of weeks with the butterfly effect, where I kind of think, all right, I make a move this week, but how is it going to affect me as you were kind of touching on in four or five weeks' time? And obviously, it's no one's fault that this has happened. I, I'm a bit of a grumpy old git here. Um, but I think we need to stop double game week, Sam, before it gets out of control. I think it's, it's getting a bit silly. That's what I've got to say. It's having too much chocolate before you go to bed. That's the problem. It's it's just too much of a good thing at the moment. And I do I love a double game week as much as the next FPL manager. But 
at the moment and in the last few seasons um to be honest they have felt a little bit relentless and it has meant that if you get on a certain pathway you're kind of locked in on that route like i i think it's happened last season it's happening now as well where depending on your team structure right here and now you're probably locked into getting probably a certain uh player in game week 25 and then also certain specific players in game week 27 as well yeah. unless you do something drastic like a free hit or a wild card which obviously has its own consequences and its own route that you'll end up going down as well. So it does feel like a pathway is kind of laid out for you, depending on where you are ahead of the game week, the double game weeks. And I I did enjoy it more when it was quite rare. Not so many people knew about them and you might sneakily double cap, like a, a triple captain, a double game week player that was lesser fancied because there weren't too many of them about um yeah the i the dunk duffy effect from several years ago obviously um yeah not a great outcome but it was quite fun at the time (laughs) and i do miss those days a little bit yeah it's gone too mainstream now it's not not Mm. fun for us hipster types that's for sure yeah (laughs) before we move on to the questions we've got from listeners i I, it would be remiss of me to ask uh, especially because you are effectively replacing Lucy as a resident saint. <laughs> How are you feeling about Southampton? Like, you know, Jones obviously had to go, and Ben Fisher uh, made, in the Guardian made a good point about the fact that your team's actually pretty decent. Obviously, you thought were decent. There should be more than enough in the tank to compete. Mm. What do you make your chance to st- of staying up? I mean, it sounds like there's obviously. You know, we're not going to date the pod by kind of saying there's links to X, Y, and Z, but there's quite a few people who are in the mix. I mean, what do you make of the, the way forward? He had to go first off, didn't he, though? Yeah. yeah. Jones, unfortunately, did have to go. Um, it got toxic very quickly. The fans don't, and we, I don't have much patience at the moment because the situation is dire. We needed a change in... Uh, in form we needed an uptick in the attitude that we were showing on the pitch and we never really got that under Jones it just felt like the wrong appointment from day one really um there were there were moments obviously beating City in the cup was a was a a nice boost and we actually played very well during that match but it felt like more of a one-off as time went on and yeah it I am quite resigned to the prospect of facing the drop at the moment it looks pretty bleak I'm not completely writing us off where well, it would be full, foolish to do so. We're only a few points off of being in a competitive position again. So a couple of wins, yeah. teams have fought back from worse positions. And if the Saints go marshing in, um, sorry about that, um, then I think it would be the correct appointment given the situation. And I don't think we would have many better options available to us at such short notice and obviously he's got experience of surviving the drop and plays quite a high intensity brand of football and he's passionate as well which I do I do like and it'll it'll roll the players up so not completely ruling us out but I'm I'm looking forward to some wins in the championship put it that way <laughs> oh, I hope you won't come to that I think Lucy would quit and never come back but yeah <laughs> definitely uh, definitely one to keep an eye on his LinkedIn for the updates that come if, if that does happen yeah yeah <laughs> do you also follow him follow him on LinkedIn then <laughs> uh, yeah I, I think I think I did I've, I've seen a couple of very very kind of cringeworthy Brentian sort of 
posts and yeah. kind of little things on there. But well, we love hey. our David Brent style managers, so he will fit right in. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then if Hazen Hussle goes to Leeds, to kind of the switcheroo is complete. Like, you know, was it a Kerbishly going to West Ham and then Paz? Uh, and Pardew going to Charlton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At yeah. that, that time, it'd be very, very like that. It'd be quite funny if that <laughs> happens, that's for sure. Right. Mm. Uh, a few questions this week, not very many, because uh, I didn't put it up for very long, basically, because I had loads of work to do. Um, <laughs> first thing, uh, Gorev asks if Arsenal should be shaken off after a couple of dodgy results. If we lose to City, can we see an exodus of Arsenal players? I mean, uh, this is a hyperbole because I know that Gorev is a gunner. Um, but uh, it's certainly been a couple of that luckluster performances, hasn't it, Sam? About the zip and zap of what's come before. I mean, mm. what do you think about about this? Will people lose confidence in the Gunners? Yeah, I, I, I think it's very early yet to suggest that people might start shipping them. Um, obviously, double game week 25 is on the horizon. They will be heavily favoured for that game week, especially with the fixtures that they've got for that. Um, so I doubt that anyone's going to be uh, brave enough, let's call it brave enough, to mm. um, move off of them before Game Week 25 is over. If for any reason they're still not firing by the time we finish Game Week 25, I think at that point we might see a few people moving away from the triple up um, and trying to find value elsewhere. But at the end of the day, I think that's fairly unlikely anyway. I think that they'll start finding their feet again probably against City on Wednesday. I think they'll be right up for that game. And even if they don't perform well in that one, they've still got three games left before anyone is realistically considering selling their Arsenal assets. I think it's more about which Arsenal assets at this point. And I think it's perfectly viable to look away from the likes of Martinelli at the moment, considering the minutes risk. But the likes of Erdegaard, Saka and probably Nketiah for the time being... Um, as well as Arsenal defence as well, you probably don't want to be manoeuvring them out for anything other than other Arsenal players right now, considering the fixtures ahead. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think you know, on the pitch, our wingers have definitely been identified by opposition managers as a threat mm. and, and ones to kind of shut down. And Odegaard in this playmaking role as well has, as we saw with Daesh, especially against Everton, uh, seen quite a, a tough time of it. As Thomas Frank said this week when he was asked if Arsenal named in the same lineup every week is helpful, he said it's certainly useful in a way. He did say yeah. that we could be hard to stop because we do we do so well. But when plan A fails, it can be quite tough for us to sort of reinvent, especially when it comes to game management. We do have another weapon on the bench in Trossard, which yeah. is good. We're lacking yeah. that. Um, yeah. Do you think he's due a start against City? Um, based on his performances recently, do you think Martinelli um, moves to the bench for a week? I don't think against City, um, especially okay. given, given how they're setting up without a left back at the moment. Um, I think that there's definitely True. room on the flanks. And I, and I think mm. that there's going to be, I know obviously it's a uh, Saka on the right, but I think there's definitely going to be space to be had for Martinelli yeah. to get in behind. I think that's going to be you know, really important for us. I, I genuinely don't know how that game's going to go. Like I couldn't call it last week and a mediocre performance versus Brentford for us. A regulation City win against Aston Villa. Neither of them are sort of catalysts. They're going to move the needle on my perception. No. Um, but, you know, I think overall what follows the City game is good enough to keep your Arsenal players because the run we've got to come up to game week 32 encompasses only Liverpool 
of the quote unquote top seven teams. So mm. you know, that's a good eight weeks or two months of games where you're probably going to be playing our guys and be happy to be doing so. And let's not forget as well how ridiculous the value of our players is. Like Odegaard's mm. now seven, starting six point five. Saka started at eight, I think it's eight point two, eight point three now. Yeah. Mark's early started at six. Jesus at eight. Remember, we, he had like a massive ownership in the other start of the season. Mm. Like all of our attacking players are ludicrously cheap relative to our league position. Like if we lose to City, then at least we haven't got the distorting fog of European competition again, still for a little while. So we can concentrate solely on bouncing back. And yeah, you know, gotta make gotta make hay while the sun shines, right? And our players are just such ridiculous value right now. Some we'll touch on probably next week. And um, that it 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 just definitely you know, you've got to make most of it, really. Uh, I hear what you're saying about the triple up though. And uh, I think in my mind, yes, maybe you'd be thinking, oh, you know, as soon as especially when Jesus starts to come back to near fitness, I mean, he starts to become more interesting. And Kessie obviously starts to become less interesting. He'll kind of mm. be on notice, you know, one bad game, and suddenly you'll see Jesus start and probably keep the spot. And Martinelli, I think, will become interesting again once Jesus is back because of the position, positional swapping that he yeah, basically yeah. do. Um, the only thing I would say is probably the defence. Um, if you've got a white or something like that, um, that's been very inconsistent. So I've had Ramsdale since the World Cup, and he's been unbelievably annoying. I mean, I missed the idea bench one clean sheet against Spurs, but he's seemingly a crapper version of Edison, you know, allergic to saves while conceding kind of soft goals. And it's kind of two points or three points. So you know, I know he does occasionally get a one save point uh, or a clean sheet, and that kind of is it. You know, it's, it's yeah. not particularly anything more than that. Looking at defensive numbers, uh, two errors leading to goal, which is kind of you know, second, I think, uh, amongst the uh, amongst teams uh, uh, since the since the World Cup restart. And even though we're fourth for XGC, we're, we're some way behind Newcastle in third, and we're actually inferior to all conquering Brentford. We just had a loss in Forest and that. So it, wow. it's, it's not a disintegration of discipline, but we're comfortably ahead of most individuals apart from City before the World Cup. Um, I think our XGC was just of cities and miles ahead of Newcastle and third. So yeah, uh, laps in, laps in defence have really cost us. And I suspect, you know, if you've got a white, then maybe he becomes a player to rotate according to the fixture soon. So if you've got somebody else to play, you know, you want to swap to a, from a 4-4-2 to playing Andreas, we were thinking, oh, you know what, I'm going to just go 3-4-3 and have White and my 11th man being the other defender. Perfectly viable. So I think the, the defence is, is definitely not one that I'd be trusting right now. But there aren't that many, that many trustworthy defences out there. So maybe you'll be all right. Maybe you look at the data and think, yeah, they could probably express that. But the fixes are, are just really good into April, uh, mm. late April. So it's definitely not something to be worrying about too much now, Guara, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. Next question. Uh, Amund asks, should we just avoid Man City defenders altogether? And if not, why not? What do you think here, Sam? Um, yeah, personally, I'm avoiding them at the moment. And I might be proven wrong pretty quickly because Man City are an elite defence and inevitably they will start keeping clean sheets at some point. But I think... Generally speaking, none of the options right now fill me with that that much confidence for um, Man City at the moment. Akanji and Ake seem like the two most sensible picks going into this game week. 
both of which didn't start the first game against Villa, where you're hoping for the clean sheet points and then obviously some appearance points against Arsenal. And it just feels like Pep is experimenting quite a lot with that back line at the moment, not just with the personnel, but also with the shape. So I don't really know anyone other than maybe Luke who would be able to predict what's going to come next. And I think anyone would struggle. So personally right now, especially considering both that risk in terms of minutes and the fact that they're a bit like Arsenal in the sense that they're conceding a few like one error a game. Soft. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of soft, one big chance a game goals where um, Ramsdale might be letting it in quite softly. I, it's uh, not Ra- uh, Edison or Ramsdale um, yeah. might be letting them in quite softly. Even it, it seems like a team that I can uh, can just leave to one side for now. Wait for a lineup to consistently present itself, and then I can have a look at them later on. Yeah, definitely. Second best defence since the restart. The similar sort of profile to Arsenal's, really. The issue is, as you mentioned, who the hell starts other than Edison? Mm. We just don't know. I was listening to Johnny Pringle and Adam Pritchard on Planet FPL's uh, correspondence, uh, Clash of Correspondence last week. And it seemed like the City fans were clamouring for the return of Laporte and Diaz. Um, and that, that did happen this week over yeah. Ake, Akanji and Ake. Uh, I think Diaz was withdrawn at half time, maybe with an injury. I think it was because of the yellow. Oh, yeah, okay, fine, fine. But, mm. you know, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, you Where... just can't trust Pep to predi- uh, to um, play the same back two, back three um, each week. And it, it's impossible to play that game. So I'm just avoiding it altogether right now. Absolutely. It, it really is a case of don't buy, don't sell. You know, mm. For- Forest and Bournemouth away over the next two. Absolutely fine on paper with the Champions League back. Absolutely nowhere determining who will play. Maybe you'd be thinking, you know, someone like a Kanji might actually be quite good for that if he's not trusted in Champions League, for mm. example. Um, but I, I just don't really like Pep whispering very much. I've never really enjoyed that. So I think it's, it's it's quite good to be able to kind of just think, you know what, I'm not I, I'm not going to bother with the Pep sweats as I said last week. Just just avoid it. But if you yeah. do own these players, you've got to kind of play them. As Lucy and I have mentioned in the past, you're kind of locked in now. And I doubt you want to waste a transfer ahead of 25 to remove one of these players. So it's a case of just kind of rolling with the punches as it is. And um, speaking of rolling with the punches, uh, Jason's question is next. So he said he benched Marches 10 points of this week. And he'd been looking for a bench miracle until Ake came on the last minute. So like Lucy, he asked, you know, how do we best play it out now with a strong squad? because it seems like a bit of an unusual situation for a lot of managers to have that and you know, have that sort of man off the bench. I mean, for, for, on the bench, sorry, scoring scoring well. I mean, for, for me, I think it's an element of kind of grinning and bearing it at the most moment, as we saw with Shaw, Jason. It, it, there's always a risk of this happening, I guess, and using kind of the techniques or at least the kind of the, the mental process we spoke about earlier to inform your response is probably paramount, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, completely agreed. Um, I, it is annoying when it happens, but try to look at it positively. It will come in handy having a stronger squad overall in the weeks to come, especially with blank game weeks on the horizon. It's nice having options there and a playing 15 because at the end of the day, you're probably going to need those options like a Pereira, like a 
a Kilman, possibly, and maybe a Tarkovsky over the next few weeks yeah. because they will come in in game week 25, possibly game week 28 as well. And maybe if you look really far in advance, maybe game week 32 as well. So annoying in the short term. And trust me, I, I agree. As someone who's got Shaw and Andreas on the bench this week, it is annoying. But I think overall, you will be better off for it. Definitely. I, I'm, I'm just not the sort of person who likes to have the situation I'm in at the moment where I've got 11, 12 good men. I, I don't like that. I like to have a designated bench. Mm. The thing is, is because Estepinian, who was my designated 12th man, has been doing so well, it's difficult to not bench him. And because Robertson's been doing so badly, you know, it's difficult to play him, I suppose, is yeah. how, how it's kind of worked out. But obviously you've got kind of legacy of Robertson being you know, so good in the past, being an expensive premium defender versus you know, 4.5 as I bought him player like Estupinian. So sometimes these things can happen, but yeah, I think you're right. Like it, it's it's always about kind of just, just being quite sanguine about the situation in front of you uh, but uh, there's always kind of an adage isn't it well at least it shows me my squad is strong it shows me Mm. i've got the right players although it's not really much comfort this week when you've got shaw's 12 points staring up at you from the bench no it's not but you are right it it is it is a comfort over the long run and it will it will help you in the weeks to come uh, speaking of a comfort, sometimes it's a player that you just dislike completely and you want to just get rid of. Uh, Alan says he's looking to waste a transfer on Kukurea to James this week simply because he despises Kukurea <laughs> being in his team. I mean, have you ever made a transfer like that, Sam? And what would your ab- advice be to Alan? Because I can kind of understand that impulse. Just be like, yeah, I'll just get rid of this guy. Just have him out of my life. I think I've done that with Wilfred Zaha about five different times in my history of FPL. <laughs> so so I can completely agree. Um, there are certain players that just just seem to troll you whenever you've got them. And to be honest, Reese James actually might be another candidate that has done that in recent seasons for a lot of people. So, yeah, I can completely relate it. It does sometimes feel like a sideways transfer, especially in uh, in an instance like this where it, you're going wing back from Chelsea to wing back from Chelsea. But I think you take each on a on a case by case basis. There is nothing wrong with the move that Alan is suggesting here. Reese James is the superior asset in FPL as long as he stays fit. And of course, Kukurea is now probably going to be a minutes risk with Chilwell back and on the horizon for a start pretty pretty soon. And also, I would say, a superior player. So yeah, I I get the frustration. Kukurea has not been a fun own in general this season. And yeah, I, I would not hold it against Alan whatsoever for getting rid of him at the first possible opportunity. Um, what I would say is that just make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons, not just because you hate the sight of him in your team. Uh, look around, see if there's any other fires that need putting out more and then make the decision based on that. But I, I think in this in this uh, situation, it's it's the right move to make. Absolutely. Obviously, I think the, the emphasis we've got on transfers and captains in a second is going to be to roll this week. I think mm. everyone, everyone's going to probably do it, or at least a vast majority of people will do it. Taking a hit or you know, using a transfer this week could be to your detriment if you haven't got you know that second transfer bent, uh, banked already or whatever. Yeah. Equally, as Sam says, sometimes it can be super satisfying just to get <laughs> this sort of thing done. Mm. Like, 
loads of times I've sold a player and I've kind of wished I could buy him back again just to sell him again. <laughs> I, think, I think Wilfred Zaha is very high on my list of players like that. Eden mm. Hazard is another player who comes to mind for a player that I've, I've you know, sold and been very happy to sell. She's pissed me off. And then the next week, well, obviously goes on and gets a brace or something like that. He was always that kind of guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's down to timing uh, for these sorts of things. Uh, if we're going to be kind of uh, more level about it, I guess if, if you're replacing Kukurea, um or a player like that with a player who has 25, is superior, as Sam says, and Reese James, and has good fixtures coming, then fair enough. Um, does the information you receive or the two free transfers you'll get by not doing that move constitute an opportunity cost for your satisfaction? That's for an individual to decide. And the only other thing is that butterfly effect stuff. So I mean, there's, there's always that, so you lose two free transfers. But sometimes as well, get that awkward transfer done can be very helpful later on in unintended ways. So you know, you're, you're sort of back out ahead of your transfer plan if you make that sort of awkward move at an awkward time. Uh, sometimes they're not the best things to do, but they can actually be quite useful because it paradoxically helps you because you've kind of gotten rid of a problem or a, a little niggle or just something uncomfortable in your team. And you're able to sort of move on without that plaguing you. You know, it's not exactly a, a raging fire, but it's like kind of a little, a little, a little sort of bit of kindling, which could go off at any moment. Mm. Sometimes it's quite nice just to do a bit of health and safety. All right. Okay. I don't need to do this, but it helps me to do it because then, I, it's gone. I don't really want this guy in my team long term. I've got no interest in holding him. And sometimes it is good. And obviously, emotionally, it can just be very nice and very kind of cleansing to remove somebody you just don't really want in your team, don't really rate, as you've uh, kind of mentioned with Zaha uh, being in your team every now and again. Hmm. Cool. <laughs> A final question this week uh, segues us nicely into transfers and captains. It's Nathan Jacobson who asks if captaincy could actually finally be under consideration this week. Uh, so uh, Holland has obviously been uh, seen in training. So Nathan asked me that before uh, he was seen in training, uh, but we may see rotation jitters uh, prior to the Champions League. Could we look elsewhere? Uh, let's move into transfer, transfers and captains anyway, Sam, for this. Mm. I guess you're you're rolling, but I mean, before you kind of tell me, talk me through your team, is there any sort of, way that you wouldn't captain Hall in this week I mean if, if the Forest game comes obviously we need to see what happens on Wednesday but the Forest game comes with before the Leipzig game midweek and then you've got the Bournemouth game oh it, it it could be one of those where you might benefit by captaining a Rashford or something right yeah, it's an interesting one this week. As Nathan correctly says, there's a there's that little doubt now creeping in because Rashford's in such good form it's viable that you could look elsewhere. And I think uh, we'll know a lot more before the deadline, luckily, because we'll see Haaland midweek. I'm certain he'll start against Arsenal, but who knows? Maybe he won't look quite at his best. Maybe he'll, he'll still be a little bit slow out of the traps with a little bit of a knock. And of course, we've also got Rashford playing in the Europa League, I think, on Thursday night too. Um, I think that's this week anyway. So we'll have an eye on both of these players before um, the deadline comes. And I think if there's enough doubt over whether Haaland starts um, against Forrest away, which could happen if he's being rested ahead of the Champions League, they will be prioritising that again, as, as they always try to. 
it it could it could work against him starting um against Nottingham Forest. What I would say is that given Man City's league position and the fact that well and depending on the game state after the Arsenal game, they might well be fully gunning for top spot in the Premier League at that point. And I think he, Pep, as long as Haaland's even half fit, wouldn't be foolish enough not to start his star striker away at Forest, which has turned into a bit of a fortress. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think the risk of Haaland not starting against Forest as long as he's fit is pretty low. But I can see... I can see a debate over those minutes. Maybe he gets taken off early if they're doing well, like we saw against Villa. And Rashford, I just, I don't quite see that happening at the moment. I I just think he's playing well enough that he's just going to be thrown in any given week for 90 minutes and he's likely to score, especially against Leicester. I I think Haaland-wise, you're right. Like I I think it wouldn't have escaped uh, City data analysts that, Forest are doing pretty well, as I mentioned earlier, with RHCC being decent. Mm. Uh, maybe it might be worth playing Haaland for that. I mean, if they weren't doing well and if they were a soft touch, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. One Iota to see maybe an Alvarez playing. And yeah. uh, I mean, I, I don't think that Sissy wouldn't be all right without Haaland playing that game. I'm sure they'd be absolutely fine and probably still win. But I still kind of think that, depending on the game state, as you said, by Wednesday, I'd be surprised to see him not start. But I mean, mm-hmm. we'll, have, we'll have to see. Pep's going to give us nothing in the press conferences. The predictor's going to predict. The player's going to play. We we just don't know. We, we've got no yeah. idea. Um, but I think it, it, we need more information, perhaps with the what happens on Wednesday, what happens elsewhere. Um, but I, mean, I, I wouldn't be too upset about pushing on Rashford because as Sam said he's going to be thrown into every game no matter what so mm. if that happens and it happens and plus you know, we had the, that bizarre situation with him having over 100% EO anyway so I'm sure yeah. he probably will have that again yeah um, and if there are those jitters uh, when it comes to Champions League I given the fact that you know City or at least Holland aren't quite doing what they were doing recently Although, funnily enough, it was it wasn't very long ago. It was kind of a couple of weeks ago. The Horns for the hat trick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've already kind of gone. Oh, you know, they're falling off. They're not. They're not great. It really was not long ago that Holland scored a hat trick. The twenty second of January, he scored a hat trick. Like you know, it's it's, it's amazing. And he, yeah, you know, Pep's definitely not been um, shy about taking him off after sixty minutes or so. If games run. Just deal with it. And as we saw at Villa this weekend, maybe he had a fly injury. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he had felt something, but you know, it wasn't kind of constituted enough to constitute an injury. But the game was won. It was 30 minutes, 3 0 yeah. down after 45 minutes. There's no way Villa were coming back from that. Pep knew it. We knew it. Take him off. Fair play. And hopefully, you know, if he does come off early, he's just going to be like it was in the Wolves game. He got again taken off 60 minutes in that game. I think it was a 60 02 or something. As long as he, you know, if there's three goals scored, you've got a good chance that Holland's going to be involved in at least two of them, three of them. That's enough for your captain, isn't mm-hmm. it? But yeah, it's not as if Leicester yeah. are the defensive, you know, heroes uh, thus far. Even Spurs scored against them, for God's sake. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's just one of those, isn't it? Where you've got to just watch it and see. Um, but yes, it would be it would be interesting if 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 uh, the captaincy did come under review for the first time in quite a while. Uh, it'd be a lot of fun 
if that happened. And I've well, one thing's for certain this week is one of Rashford or Haaland is going to hurt you in, in terms of your rank this week because they're both going to be over 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, rolling, Sam? Yeah, rolling. Uh, barring any sort of catastrophic injury crisis at any of the big teams, I think it's looking like a roll. Um pretty much set up fairly template ahead of game week 25 as well i need to find a way to get to probably salah or darwin um by game week 25 but i don't think i'm going to commit to more liverpool than just one um so i think having two free transfers for that game week will be pretty important if if Mm. you can at all do that and that's what i'm aiming to do yeah it makes sense so yeah i'm I'm rolling this week and i think that you know if, if you are sat there with two free transfers maybe someone like you know buying Tarkovsky or something mm. uh, just reshuffling your bench could be worth doing so I think it's unlikely anyone's playing five at the back so and Tarkovsky's 4.2 I'm pretty sure his EO is going to be pretty high on the double game week amongst the gauge managers anyway so he'd be a player that you probably just buy and just kind of just leave him uh, ready for 25 if you've got an extra transfer but I I, I think you know for most people it'll probably be a role um any hit, I think, is going to be quite difficult to recover from this week, barring yeah. high variance outcomes. I don't see, I mean, maybe this is kind of you know, famous last words, but I don't see too much in the roster which screams, you know, must buy into of all the mm. teams out there, especially given the fact that Sam's mentioned Brighton and uh, Brentford. We both uh, Brett Brighton against Fulham, so not the best home game. Brentford at home to Crystal Palace is a decent home game, but then blank 25. So wouldn't be rushing to the likes of uh, Ivan Tony or something like that. I, I think that uh, I saw something quite funny today. Was it uh, FPL Price or something mentioned that loads of <laughs> loads of loads of players, loads of loads of bought in players are all blanking 25. So, yeah, yeah. I think five of the top ten as it stands transfers in are players that currently blank in game week 25 um so it does go to show there will be a turn in fortunes if you're an engaged manager i i think and i truly believe the next few weeks will be pivotal if you're engaged and you're planning ahead and and you can map it out weeks in advance i think it will pay dividends soon um but yeah i mean there is an argument to say they're playing well even if they blank in t- t- game week 25 makes make hay while the sun shines and get those lovely tony and matoma points right here right now um but personally i'm not on them yet and if i if i went for them right now it would just leave me in a horrible situation for game week 25 so i'm gonna hold off for the time being yeah fair play so both forward in the free hit then i'll probably be doing like Shaw and bruno to taco and salah yeah maybe maybe take a hit to remove one of patterson or you know, greenwood something like that i mean it's yeah i mean one of those that we'll come to next week right okay i think that's your lot we'll be back next week for a normal run-of-the-mill pod that isn't mid game week hey we'll see what happens with the last game so if you that would be nice before another mid-game week pod after that during game week 25 anyway thanks so much for coming on sam really really useful thank you very much for having me i always enjoy um getting on this pod and uh yeah hope lucy feels better soon um and yeah hope saints go marching on in the future (laughs) let's see let's see 
<laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We were Who Got Resist. You can find me on Twitter, Tom at WGTA underscore FPL at Lucy Harnett with two T's. Next, we'll be joined by Gian Bartra uh, for his maiden pod appearance. Uh, he's a creator of Very Good Threads and Cyber Viewpoints on Twitter at FPL underscore Gian Bartra if you want to follow him. I'll be at FPL Meets this weekend at the Thirsty Bear near Waterloo. If you want to check that out, it's at FPL Meets on Twitter. Uh, we'll all be there from more midday or the, the Arsenal games at 12.30 and we'll be there basically all day, all night probably. 20% off <laughs> food and drink for all attendees if you can make it as well, uh, thanks to the deal cut by Don Nima. Uh, do stop in if you can, I'd highly encourage you to do so and you know, if you're not sure, well, it's always great fun new friends could be made really easily because we've all got this sort of common language, which is FPL all you need to do is kind of just say oh how's your season going whatever and if you're really not sure but you do come along come and find me at least i'll buy you a drink and we'll get you chatting that doesn't count for anybody who knows me already i should say yeah sadly sam can't make this one um but yeah hopefully next time uh next time definitely next time i'm i'm usually there I've, unfortunately i've got a prior commitment this week um which i definitely can't get out of <laughs> um but yeah i'm usually there and I, I can completely carburate what you're saying they are a lot of fun if you're even slightly nervous about going trust me it's worth it after two minutes you couldn't feel more at home so yeah get down there if you can excellent excellent cool all right so yeah that's it let's speak next week enjoy the rest of the week though not too much those are triple city and i hope we assisted you and speak to you again next monday take care see ya Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.